time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. It is Monday, August 14th. It's hot here in Texas. I hope you're having a good summer wherever you're at. Again, we're here live with you from Austin, Texas area. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals, and we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Again, our commitment is to bring you timely information that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. I'd like to give a big shout out to our sponsors, specifically Byte Software, one of our newer sponsors. They do a great job creating a full enterprise solution. If you have an uncompromising idea of how you want to run your operation, you're going to love the way Byte goes about this. They give you the control through Byte to design and manage and customize workflows in-house with the macro-based automation and validation tools that are there. So very exciting about what they have to offer. Check them out. Also, Finastra, the largest fintech company in the world. So grateful to have them as a sponsor. They have a digital and efficient doc prep product that goes so much more beyond just doc prep. It is a full digitized mortgage process and it can do so much to help you streamline your operation. So check out Finastra. Also, Total Expert is already built for lenders and has an intelligence of understanding their unique needs. Check out the interview we did with Joe Wellu on March 15th. Also, Candor Technologies, love what Candor does. Again, that automates both tasks and expert underwriter intent, intellect, intelligence that they have to move seamlessly and more profitably between each of the market cycles. So as the market changes, it cycles in and out. You are able to adjust your productivity and be able to adjust what you do with Candor. Check out Candor Technology at candortechnology.com. Also want to say thank you to Simple Nexus for being a sponsor of the podcast. Also, iEmergent. You're going to hear from John Maynell in just a minute. Also, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, Lenders One, Mortgage Collaborative, TMC, as well as KnowledgeCoop, Mobility MMI, Modex, and Mortgage Advisory Tools. So good to have our sponsors that make this podcast possible. Let's get over to Adam DeSanctis with this week's MBA Mortgage Minute. Hi, I'm Adam DeSanctis. This is the Mortgage Minute, the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, MBA submitted a comment letter regarding the Department of Housing and Urban Development and Department of Agriculture proposal to increase energy efficiency standards significantly for USDA and FHA-insured and finance loans for construction or substantial rehabilitation. The notice of preliminary determination proposed by HUD and USDA would require building codes that are not currently supported in the vast majority of states. So why does this matter? MBA and its members support energy efficiency measures, but the proposal would place significant new cost burdens on newly constructed housing and ultimately hit affordability. We will continue our advocacy with HUD and USDA to stress the importance of limiting additional costs and burdens on development and instead promote and incentivize an increase in housing supply. And finally, have you registered yet for MBA's annual convention and expo? We hope to see you in the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, on October 15th through the 18th. Register today at mba.org slash annual. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Good job. Appreciate you having the Sanctus. Appreciate all of you at the MBA.
for all that you do for our industry and helping us through these challenging times and then taking on some of the policy issues that seem just crazy, some of the things going on. But anyway, it's good to have the partnership with the MBA. Also check out the Mortgage Action Alliance application. You can download that on your smartphone and you'll get some ability to have your voice heard on the Hill. Let's get over to Les Parker with this week's TM Spotlight and a macro view of the markets. Les, what do you have for us, my friend? Let's appreciate your insights, especially your music parodies. TM Spotlight Soundbites is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Well, rates moved up last morning on the wrong side of the trade. And now bonds get to thinking about all those things Jay said about rich MBS trades and how they make apps sick. In Japan and Europe, inflation ease, tanking the dollar and sinking oil. But the bearish U.S. news caused rates to rise amid erratic price action. Loans can get adversely priced when locks come in during volatile moves. On Friday afternoon, hedgers that waited to sell the flow discovered the pain of selling below the locked price. It made locks rich. Secondary tries to fade trades and sell ahead of flows to beat the rich lock. You can't hedge away richness, but they try. These views are mine. Beat the rich. Don't stop them now. They're going crazy. Beat the rich. Now that's their idea of a good time. Hello. Les Parker. Yeah, I did yourself on that one. Love that one. Very good. Gary Cantrone, Les Parker teaming up for the TM Spotlight. You can sign up for the TM Spotlight newsletter. Get the paid version for free. You put in the word power in the where that's asked for a code. So you get something for free and it's valuable. It's worth every bit of it. We've got Matt Graham here dialed in. So good to have you here, Matt, with an update in the markets, looking at what's happening on Friday. And again, we're starting to approach the highs of a year here. Again, bumping up on the limits. Golly, it's just, what do you say about this? I don't say anything good about it. It's not good. Everybody's really upset about it. Yeah, there's oh. nothing good to say about this. This is just, this is, it's not the way we want to end up summer here. Not that we're ending it yet, but we're certainly, it's going to put a wet blanket on it. But let, let's run through the markets. What's happening? Yeah, so last week's focus was definitely on CPI, Consumer Price Index, the big inflation report, and that was on Thursday. We came into it with a pretty strong setup. I think bonds, after the NFP rally from the previous week, were gearing up for maybe good news from CPI, and then they got it and didn't really do much with it initially. And that was interesting because there was quite a bit of buildup heading into CPI. And what was more interesting is that we ended up selling off fairly aggressively, very aggressively during the rest of the day, so much so that people struggled to make sense of what was going on Thursday. And there were a couple other potential market movers in play. The 30-year bond auction came out at 1 p.m. Notably, most of the weakness happened either before 1 p.m. or after 1.20 p.m. And you would think that if the 30-year bond auction was the culprit, you would see a good chunk of selling between 1 and 1.20, or at least right after 1 o'clock, or let's be fair, 1.02 p.m., because those results usually aren't out for about a minute and a half. But I digress. Point being, I, the 30-year bond auction results were fine. Anything that you see out there saying that the auction was weak, soft, hard to take down, highest yield since however, yeah, of course it was the highest yield in a long time because rates are the highest they've been in a long time. So the auction 
yields are going to be the highest in a long time. That's not a surprise. Uh, the bid to cover was right in line with the two of the past three months, was right in line with averages for a refunding auction. All of the bidding stats were right in line with recent averages. There was nothing remarkable about the auction. So that was not the culprit. Then the Fed's Mary Daly had some comments about maybe more tightening needed. Those happened earlier in the day. There were no big volume spikes or instances of bond selling following those comments. So the bond market's MO would be to re react to that stuff instantly. And really, there was no great headline to line the selling up with. So that forces analysts to start really guessing and talking about big strategic considerations. And one of those big strategic considerations that really made the rounds last week was this shift from the notion of a soft landing to a no landing when it comes to how the Fed might engineer this exit from restrictive monetary policy and how it might balance the needs of inflation fighting versus not crippling the economy. You were here when rates first started rising as fast as they were and everybody thought, oh, surely this results in a big recession and things are gonna get really bad really quick, but we haven't had it. There've been some economic data points that you could point to and say, that's ah, not so great. But by and large, things have been more resilient than most people expected. And now if we're talking about a no landing scenario where the economy just keeps on chugging along at whatever pace, that's not a great thing for bonds or for inflation. You also had some increased quote unquote chatter. I don't love that word because what does it mean? Who, who's chattering? Some increased chatter about a rebound in, in fuel prices and food prices that will spill over into inflation and that we're just really looking at back-to-back -back CPI reports that are temporarily reflecting a correction and that it could reaccelerate in some way. I don't know if that's the driver, how true that is, but it's something that people were talking about. Another big topic that I know will be popular on this podcast and definitely in the news is the role of government spending and that we're doing too much of it and not taking in enough revenue. And I would agree with that. And that's definitely a problem for the bond market. It's something that bonds are definitely considering. And it will be something they continue con to consider regardless of who's in office, because in, this is a vast overgeneralization, but in general, you could say that one party likes to spend a bit more and the other party likes to take in a bit less in revenue. Either way, you're issuing way. <laughs> more treasury debt and more treasury debt is not great. And especially right now, it's com compounded by the Fitch ratings downgrade. Not that anyone really cares what Fitch says, but it just came at a time when people were sensitive to this notion of increased supply. All that to say that, oh yeah, and you have the Fed, pivoting to manage its restrictive policies in the form of holding the ceiling on rates rather than finding the ceiling on rates. So there's a lot of chatter. There's that word again. Uh, a lot of chatter about the fact that hikes are probably done. Borrowing some really strong unforeseen data or some alarming inflation resurgence, uh, rate hikes can be done and the Fed can just manage it's policy transmission via how long it holds the ceiling rate. That means, uh, and as I think we talked about this last week, that all of the volatility in rates, all of the market's response, not the market, the bond market's response to shifting undercurrents of uh, monetary policy, growth outlook, inflation outlook, 
are expressed in the longer end of the yield curve. And that means more volatility for uh, 10-year treasury yields and much less for two-year treasury yields. We've seen that play out recently. Tens are at the highest levels of the year, whereas fives and you know, threes and twos uh, were higher a couple of months ago or last month. And so that's a, a yield curve thing. And there's a bunch of curve trading going on. Some people were saying that's adding to last week's volatility. But yeah, any way you slice it, you're waiting for the Fed to give you some indication that it's that it has its first rate cut on the horizon. They might not even give that to us in words. They might give it to us in the form of a dot plot. And so that'll be scrutinized in September. But yeah, it's a, a dark passage right now, getting from wherever we are right now to wherever we will be when we get that indication that short-term rates can come down. So that's the, the first domino that needs to fall before longer-term rates can come down in a meaningful way. Unfortunately, yeah, this is just one of those ugly times. And I keep waiting for Les Parker's prediction where rates could, could move lower. Others do. Other, there's the general consensus. Any thoughts on that towards looking forward into this fall and later? What I mean, happen? rates are absolutely going to go lower than they are right now at some point. It's just a question of timing. And I thought we would have hit that mark already myself several times. And I'm not shy about saying when rates were 4% rising, I didn't see them hitting 7%. And but now that rates are 7% and rising, I'm even more certain that they're not going to go another 3% higher because things will start to break. And I think you do have some indications of that in the vehicle market. Saw a lot more coverage last week about wholesale vehicle prices that have started to tank. You don't see it at the retail level yet because, of course, car dealers are going to try to get their money. But that's just one piece of evidence that the rising rate environment is taking a toll and not just on refi demand. The good news is we do have people on MBS Live saying that they haven't seen a big impact on their origination pipelines. They already were very small, but buyers don't seem to be balking at rates like they used to. And I know we talked about that last week, but that continues to be a, a topic on MBS Live. That's right. Yeah, I, I noticed the chatter on you. Chatter. There we go again with that word. Chatter. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's, it's one of those words. It's like they said, who's they? But chatter is one of those things which you just hear generally. It's a term that we use just to, where people are generally chattering away. And I love the chat feature on your MBS Live system. It is so good to get insights into the mindset of where people are at. And I, may, I think maybe it's just that you attract people who are People are going to invest the money to look at the markets like they do and use a system like mbslive.net to do so are going to be probably on the upper end of the market. More of the ones that are finding ways to succeed in this market. Maybe that's why that the chatter or the yeah. communication on there is just a little bit more of a it's still more encouraging. It's, it is encouraging to see that people seem to be getting into the mindset. This is where rates are. We've got an opportunity. I can either. Yeah, sell we got to make the rate. most of it. Yeah, let's make the most of it. Exactly. So anyway, great system, Matt. I just love it. Again, recommend it to anybody that we're engaged with talking to. I tell everyone now, you did see MBS Live, did you not? <laughs> MBSLive.net. So anyway, folks, you can sign up for MBSLive.net by going to MBSLive.net and it'll go to the sign up area and you'll see a invitation for a code. Put in a code, put it LOL. Thank you very much, Matt, for doing that. And it creates an extended trial period. 
And uh, you'll go in there and like everyone who has gone in there of our clients and our listeners, oh my gosh, this is so affordable. Oh my gosh, look at all the information. Oh my gosh, look at this, look at that. And I keep getting emails after people say, look, at one of the benefits I've gotten from being a listener on your podcast is getting introduced to mbslive.net. It's such a powerful tool. Kudos to you, Matt. Appreciate it. Thanks, sir. You bet. Appreciate you joining here on Zoom. It's a little bit of a change up on our regular podcast, the way we're going about it. Again, thank you for dialing in and being here. Appreciate you, friend. You bet. Got a call from David Kittle. I got a text from David Kittle. He broke a tooth over the weekend. That may have been TMI, but anyway, he's just, he like, I am. It's just like, it happens. Share it. Go ahead. And he's in the dental chair and not able to dial in. So we will miss having him here. But I do want to get out and feature one of our new sponsors, and that is iEmergent. And what they're doing is more than just an ad. This is not an ad. This is talking about what you can do with technology. We talk about Matt Graham's MBS Live. It's business intelligence of what's going on in the markets. Wouldn't it be good to have business intelligence of where the market is moving and which parts of the country, which parts of your city, which neighborhoods are selling better? have and then project that two years out with a 90 plus degree percent of accuracy that is business intelligence matt's system mbs live tells you where the markets are at les parker tells you the macro view and business intelligence this data that we're gathering is just so critical to the way you go about your business in this new market you must learn about it. So I'm really excited about sharing with you the MBS or the MBS Live, of course. But now let's get over to listen to John Maynell talk about a feature within iEmerge. Thanks, David. Today's update has to do with something quite new that mortgage lenders are doing to increase loan volume. They are identifying and addressing gaps in coverage. With the tools we now have at our disposal, like Mortgage Market Smart from iEmergent, lenders can not only see their branches on an interactive map, but also where their closed loans are occurring on that map. And most importantly, how many loans are going to close in each neighborhood this year, next year, and the year after that. Lenders who use Mortgage Market Smart to actually look into the future to see precisely how many loans will close in each census tract are focusing on known hotspots within their geographies and significantly increasing the number of borrowers they're engaged with. Methods that lenders use to establish a presence in known hotspots will be in one of our future updates, David. Thank you so much, John. Appreciate that. Business intelligence. It's another two tour. It's one we're going to be talking about a lot is the data. What's out there? I interviewed, had the privilege of interviewing Clayton Collins of Housing Wire Media and HW Media, which of course owns Housing Wire, which owns Real Trends. They also own a number of other media assets. And it's really interesting and get to know him, get in his mind. He says, I'm really now focusing more and more on data. Where is the data? Which when you have the data, then you have business intelligence. It's how we look at that data. So I love what iEmergent is doing. Check them out. Encourage you to do so. Let's see here. Moving on. Alice Alvey could not make it. She got called into a meeting today, but she did send a segment out. So let's get a legislative update from Alice. Appreciate Alice taking the time to send this in. Alice, what do you have for us today? Thanks, Dave. And hello, everyone. I'm sorry I can't be there with you in person, but we do have two proposals that are important to make sure that you are following. First up is a notice of proposed rulemaking that's been put in place by all the agencies uh, that we have a chance to comment on by August 21st. 
This particular proposal is on quality control standards for automated valuation models. I talked about this on a previous show. Want to remind you of it today that the Mortgage Bankers Association has already published their comments. There are some very important pieces of this proposed rule that have to be stopped. I don't usually get very adamant about getting in there and completely stopping and taking something away. Usually there's some kind of middle ground I like to try and find. How can we negotiate this or fix wording? I'm very big on sometimes it's just about the wording. But in this particular case, there are several areas of this proposed rule that need to go back to the drawing board and really be rethought. The first, the most important one is that as a lender, we cannot be held responsible for determining if there is systemic bias in an automated valuation model. We don't write the models we can't be accountable for if we're using one that there might be something in the programming so that we we have no knowledge of we don't know how the avm is actually functioning in its algorithm um, so please take some time to go to the CFPB website. You can access this proposed rule there. I'll get the link out to Dave. And check a look, take a look at the Mortgage Bankers Association's comments. Uh, there is a way to view comments that have been posted. And you can simply reshare those comments. Or you can simply go in and say that lenders should not be held accountable for uh, the effects of systemic bias that may occur in an AVM. And primarily it's because there really is, as the MBA points out, there's no scientific consensus on the strategies to really analyze this and understand whether there is systemic bias. And as a lender, I only have my small snapshot of the market that I'm working with. I can't make an assertion of how an entire system is functioning. So there are other ways to go about this. Have money put into doing testing and research if there is concern about how automated valuation models may be potentially impacting uh, pockets, individual cases, or any geographic area. So the agencies, you know, as MBA says, if they wish to pursue a greater understanding of detecting evidence of systemic bias, MBA suggests that they support an effort to develop a testing strategy that can be shared with the AVM industry. And that really, to me, is the sentence that drives this home, that this whole thing that they propose needs to be blown up and started over. Uh, there really is a lot that is not clear and leaves lenders open to a lot of liability that we really don't have the tools and resources in the industry today to be able to defend and operate within. Um, so I understand, have quality control systems in place, but this goes too far in who's being held accountable and and lack of clarity on how that accountability will be enforced. So please take a look at that. You have till August 21st to be able to comment on that one. The second one 
is a proposed interagency guidance again. So everybody's in the room on this one, all the alphabet soup of regulators you can think of. This was published July 21st, and so we'll have a good 60 days to comment on this one. Uh, the title of this one, let me get it right, Reconsideration of Value of Residential Real Estate Valuations. So we're using a new acronym, not new, but ROV, Re uh, Reconsideration of Value, and Lenders have been asking, how does current appraiser independence and the old FIREA rules from 1989 and the, re and the updates of that rule since then, how does all that fit into when we say we have to get a reconsideration of value? So this is um, the early stages. This is looking for feedback on how should they approach um, answering the question on is a ROV handled in a certain way going to be okay? Am I can I make sure that if I follow these procedures, my reconsideration of value isn't a violation of appraiser independence or any of the uh, financial institution recovery and reform regulations that are out there that cover appraisals? Um, so this one is pretty short. It's asking a lot of questions, um, but really looking for making sure that um, we understand what policy and procedures we have to have in place. So there's some bullet points that talk about as a PNP, as a lender writing a policy and procedure, what should I consider in writing that and writing a reconsideration of value policies and procedures? And then really, what do we need from the agencies? So this is an opportunity to answer their questions and say, this is what we need from you. This is how we need you to spell things out in the proposed rule so that we can make sure we're following what you want and that we don't have any problems in the future um, with any practice for reconsideration of value. When values are all going up, yes, some markets, you're constantly going in for, hey, look at this higher amount. But as markets start to change right now, this is becoming more and more of a pressure point. So please take some time to take a look at that. We'll continue to talk to folks about it. Um, MBA has not published their um, thoughts on this yet. That'll take some time as they uh, listen to all the members and, and pull together a letter. So this is early in the stage. We've got a good 60 days still, but check that out. It is the interagency guidance on reconsideration of value of residential real estate valuations. So two important proposals out there that your voice needs to be heard on. Thanks, Dave. Have a great day. Alice, thank you so much. You can listen to all of Alice's segments on our website. They're all stacked up and just we have a we've set up for Matt Graham for each one of the segments that we do here. If you want to go back and binge on Matt or Alice or Les or any of the other participants, you can do so by going to our website. Again, Alice Alvey of Union Home Mortgage. Thank you so much for being here. Alan Pollock is dialed in. So glad to have him here with his weekly tech update. Alan, we're going to have to get you unmuted there, but love to have you give us. There you are. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, I was just waiting. Thanks for being uh, flexible and moving over to uh, Zoom as we record this. Or probably we could do this from now on. As I said and think about it, I've been concerned about Blog Talk Bowman Technology and their platform and I've been looking for an excuse. So this one kind of kicked us out of the Blog Talk nest and got us over here. So here we are. Good to have you. Here we are. Good to be here. So I got a couple interesting things, David. The first one, let's start with this. I was browsing the internet and it was a mom had posted Imagine something that. that you browsing the internet. <laughs> <laughs> right? A mom posted something that her son, a conversation chat with her son, and, and she asked him if he went to the bank today to create an account. 
And she goes, so what did the bank ask you for today? And the kid said, social, like the bank's asking for your social security number. And the mom says, so what did you say? And the kid said, Instagram. <laughs> so he thought they were asking, what is his social platform, not his social security number? So that's what we're dealing with nowadays. Here's the next one, David. This is another great one I thought I'd mention. Uh, and since there's a lot of us Gen Xers on the phone or on this uh, podcast today, abandoned malls should be turned into Gen X retirement homes. Three stories tall with a food court, movie theater, arcade, uh, KB toys, a skate park, and glamour shots just for the heck of it. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, malls yes. are going to be a, yeah, yeah. Look at they are. the future of the mall. It's really true. It's really I, I saw a video online of one mall converted into a pickleball center. Since really? Pickleball is the, the newest sport. Yes. I don't know if it's taking off throughout the country, but there was one mall that uh, had been converted. Pretty cool. All right. Your Let's talk about some mortgage. Yeah, mortgage, mortgage stuff. I thought this, David, was really cool. So we've heard about Regora in the past. They are an appraisal technology disruptor, let's call it. I've always liked what they were doing. So they just launched what they call their appraisal marketplace. And it's basically an Uber-style approach to appraisal fulfillment. What they're saying is that traditionally, most appraisal orders are sent directly to an appraiser or an AMC will send it to an appraiser, sometimes based on the general location and their performance. Regora said this takes up time, it wastes time. What they've done is they've actually been able to identify who is in that location now or going to be there in the next 24 hours. And they have the ability using their technology to better align and associate appraisers for that project. Obviously it speeds up the process. It, it reduces the back and forth and the timing. They said that with, it, with this new platform and within a matter of weeks, they saw a 35% improvement in overall turn times. And that's pretty dramatic. Good hats off to Regora. Check it out. It's called the Appraisal Marketplace. The next one, David, I wanted to talk about, and this one's really cool. This is the FIS Accelerator. There is a vendor in our industry, our, a good friend of mine, uh, Matt Woolley, who um, is the CRO over there. The, com yeah, the company, I, I can't pronounce it, but it's Azmuth, I think, or Azimuth. It's A-Z-I-M-U-T-H. And they have been selected among many others to be in this new FIS FinTech Accelerator. It's the 2023 program. And the FIS Accelerator is called the Venture Center. And there was nine other companies in general that were included in here. It looks like AutoCloud, Dyro, Forage, Caney, Llama, Nia One, and Triple. So hopefully names that we become more familiar with over time. But I thought this was interesting. So I went over to, and I've always wanted to start an accelerator. So this was you know, near and dear to pique my interest. So I went over to take a look at what FIS is doing. And they're also out here in Jacksonville, right by me. And they have this finance, they call it financial technology for bold ideas. And so they cover a bunch of areas and it, the way they did the marketing, and I think it really touches home because I'm gonna get to the lending piece in a moment. They're, they have an accelerator for embedded finance. They wanna obviously deliver a frictionless experience. So if you're a bank or a credit union listening to this podcast, you should be looking at, at frictionless experiences. B2B payments, which not a lot of us are involved in, but they want to make doing business less work, make it easier, not so hard, right? Something that, that sits with us all. On the lending side, they want to meet borrowers at the point of need, right? How exactly perfect is that? That's everything that we continue to try to do. 
We've had many point of sale platforms in our industry for a long time. Uh, many of them or some of them have either been acquired or they've had investments. And so the, the playing field is, is very different depending on which vendor you want to partner with or talk to. But we all are still focused on the same thing, how to meet borrowers at the point of need, how to build and maintain a brand, so on and so forth. Then, David, they get into intelligent data. And this goes to the comment you made earlier today about BI. And it's funny because today I was talking about BI, but it says increase the value of your data. I think business intelligence is actually, I, I don't know if they hit the mark on the title. I think business intelligence is not increasing the value of your data. It's making your business smarter with the yep, data, what's sure. actionable from the data. Anyone yes. can pull data up on a screen and go yep, and excel. Exactly right. but what what that, do you do with that data? What you're doing with the, intel, with the data, that's the intelligence. Yep. Yeah, it, it, at least in our industry, because we truly don't, we can't afford to spend more money on more products and more services and more training and more people. Because of that, today I had gone to an article that, that I had a long time ago. What is the true cost of buying business intelligence versus trying to do it on your own? You can go get a license at Microsoft Power BI really cheap as a lender. You can go buy $49 a month Tableau. But what does it truly cost? And I'm just going to go through a couple of very quick things right here. I'm not going to get into the details, David, but if we have some listeners that want to hear more next week, we can. But the first thing is software and license fees. You got to know that it's going to cost money. And if you go with a vendor that has it all done, like our one new advertiser, who just funny enough happened to be the same day I was talking about this topic, they're covering that. Yeah, they're going to charge you a license fee, but the reality is you're not going to have to pay the software and licensing fees. And that's going to expand based on security needs. It's going to expand based on users. It's going to expand based on how much data you have. Also hardware and infrastructure to put that software on. And then you have data integration and management, meaning how are you getting all your data there? And once you get it there, how are you going to massage it? You can't just stick any old database there. You have to break the data down. You have to correlate and connect the data. Then, of course, you have your own internal training and support. And then you have development of all your dashboards. And then you have to think about that the person you hire to build this understand analytics. So there's many more. You obviously have maintenance and upgrades. But if you think about it, the cost of one employee to build your dashboards and to be able to get all the data is on average 150 to 225 a year. And that doesn't mean they have the analytical skills to look at the data the right way. They just put it all together for you. Right. So when you look at what vendors in our industry charge, and remember us as lenders, we're not technology companies. We've been forced to be tech companies. The reality is we should find a good partner unless you really have the staff and you really have the know-how to do so. Finding a good partner is a great idea. Some folks will continue to evolve their dashboards, meaning once you sign up and you get on the train, you're there for the whole ride and you get all the enhancements in the new dashboards they have. And a lot of vendors have professional services, meaning they will, you pay them, but they will make exactly what you want. And sometimes it can be just for you. So David, I'll end with that. Business intelligence, sometimes it is cheaper to partner with someone rather than go and do it on your own. But of course, like always, if anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out to David Licken or myself. And uh, my email is alan, A-L-E-N, at tms-advisors.com. And thanks, everyone, for listening this week. Yeah, thank you so much, for Alan, for dialing in. Appreciate it very much. Lots of interesting things, business intelligence and data. When Dick Clayton and I were talking, Alan, about that, I really got enamored <clears throat> with his direction and with some of the aspects of the data. I'll let him talk about that. We're going to have it back on the podcast, but it's really interesting. Data is king going to be so well, much the way it, we do our business. That That is true, David. Data is king. What else is really funny is that 
everybody's talking about artificial intelligence and enhanced workflow. You need data to do that. You can't just say when X happens, do Y. The problem with that is anything conditionally around X and Y have to make sense in order for X and Y to even be relatable. And so because of that, you need data and you need to understand what to do with that data. So having, and I'll probably sound a little repetitive, but having kind of the right partners to help you see the data and understand the data is probably really smart. And it is absolutely crucial. And that's beyond mortgage. That's any industry, but data is king. Like you said. Yeah, it's really good. Good stuff, Alan. Great report. Appreciate it very much. Our listeners appreciate you. And each week you show up with some more information, more interesting information. All right, folks, that wraps up the podcast for this week. We are looking forward to being back with you next week. Anything that you have that you would like us to cover on the podcast, please get a hold of me or Alan or any one of us on the podcast. We welcome the opportunity to bring you content that is most relevant to you. We're going to be talking more about the topic of the real estate commission, specifically the selling side of the commission, not the listing side, the selling side. Again, that is moving with ever more of emotion and it appears it's going to go against national association of realtors NAR. so that's really interesting and then also the cfpb a lot of changes coming down that's i mean cfpb going through the u.s supreme court a lot of changes coming down the line folks need to be on top of all this appreciate it we try to help you do just that stay on top of it by coming here to the podcast and listening Appreciate you all. Have a great week. Look forward to having you back with your next week. Thank you. You've been listening to Lickin on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week. And thanks for listening.